Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio all around Kansas City. You can listen online always at 610sports.com. I am Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. If you guys would like to get involved in the show, the Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well, at BK Sports Talk. We've got a lot to get into today. My guy Jim Nagy, he is the Senior Bowl Director. He said the Chiefs are getting an absolute stud in Juan Thornhill. He said that they should have had to take him in the first round. He thought he was a first-round safety when he had him down at the Senior Bowl. So Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl is going to join us coming up at 1030 in the 11 o'clock hour, we will be joined by Matthew Caller. He works for 1500 ESPN in Minnesota. I want to ask him about the seemingly dozens of players that the Vikings have that the Chiefs would at least be somewhat interested in trading for. So Matthew Caller of 1500 ESPN will join us coming up at 1130. A lot of Chiefs, a lot of Royals throughout the day. But we begin with the situation at cornerback that I've been talking about here on the show basically since we began. It still ain't fixed, fellas. Of the kind of, I mean, in order to do this, you look at the remaining holes that teams have. Is there a glaring team need that you're still really worried about that you feel like for a contender is something that could sink them? I think that, as we talked about many times on this show today, the chief secondary still worries me. Yeah. I think even going out and getting some pass rushers, we've seen how much importance you have to put on the coverage, even with a pass rush these days. And even with Tyron Matthew, who I love, it just seems like they don't have enough talent in the secondary to feel good about where they are. That was Robert Mays on the Ringer NFL podcast earlier this week. He says what we've all been thinking for a long time. The cornerback situation for the Kansas City Chiefs is a potentially fatal flaw right now. You have Charvarius Ward, Kendall Fuller, Bashad Breland, Keith Reeser, and a bunch of undrafted free agents. That's your current situation at cornerback. Maybe you want to include Tremont Smith and Rashad Fenton, the two sixth-rounders, whatever. Any way you slice it, you've got three guys that you're like, okay, we can maybe try to piece this thing together with toothpicks and bubblegum. And then you've got a bunch of dudes that you've either never heard of, that your neighbor, you could say Mark Fields, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, the guy that's in accounting over at uh, over at Cerner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know Mark Fields. That That's what the Chiefs have at cornerback right now. And so for weeks, I've been saying, listen, there's another big move coming. There's another big move coming. There's another big move coming. And it has to be coming at cornerback because it's the most obvious place to come. I still somewhat believe that. They still have $25 million to play with. They still have the draft capital next year to be able to spend. They still have the need at the position. I'm starting to get a little worried that that guy might not be out there, though. Because the more I look around the NFL, and you see yesterday the Dolphins re-signed Xavier Howard, their young cornerback to the richest deal in NFL history at the position. That was a guy that I would have liked the Chiefs to target, but he just he clearly wasn't available. And so if he's not available, you can't go get them. So 
I did this a little while ago with Brett Veach, and I said, you know what? I've been a little tough on him. I feel like it's time for me to at least explain where he's coming from. I did that with the splashes that he tried to make. I think I might have to do that again at corner. I think it might be time. And so this morning, let's have an honest conversation about where the Chiefs are at at the cornerback situation and where they could have been at the cornerback situation. Because earlier this week, I looked up the cornerbacks that have been available over the last two years that have changed teams, not in the draft. The draft's a different story. And if you want to crush uh, Brett Veach for not taking corner in the draft, by all means, God bless you, go for it. I understand. That's absolutely a fair criticism. He should have taken one earlier in the draft. If you want to go down that path, I can listen to it. But if we're talking about going out and getting a free agent or a trade for a cornerback, so guys that you think can come in right away that are veterans that can come in and help this team, I just don't see where it was coming from. Here are the free agent cornerbacks last year that were available to the Kansas City Chiefs. Tremaine Johnson, he had a horrible season. The Jets would love to get out of that contract now. Malcolm Butler was not particularly good. The Titans keep adding cornerbacks because they know they still need to add cornerbacks. Richard Sherman, over the hill, didn't have as great of a year last year. Also doesn't fit your current system. Prince of Mukamara, not all that good. Aaron Colvin, a slot corner, which is where you want to play your best corner. Mo Claiborne, back on the market this offseason. DJ Hayden, not a good player. That's the end of the top cornerbacks that hit the market last year. You didn't want any of them. So, that's last year. Let's go to the top cornerbacks that were on the market this year. Kareem Jackson. The Texans let him go for a reason. Bradley Roby. I think the Chiefs were very clearly interested in bringing Bradley Roby, the former Eagles cornerback, now current again Eagles cornerback, in. I also think they thought he wouldn't be ready for week one because the big question with him is health, and it's always been the question with Bradley Roby, and he's coming off of a torn ACL again, and so they thought seemingly, based on the fact that he signed a one-year deal for like $7 million with the Eagles, that he's not going to be healthy this year. Okay, fine. I can't quibble with the doctors. That's not my place. Justin Coleman, he ain't that great. Steve Nelson was the fourth best cornerback on the market this year. You just had him, and you all think he stinks. After him, it was Pierre Desir, Robert Alford, Bryce Callahan, Ronald Darby. I mean, what do you want me to do here? What do you want me to do here? None of those guys are changing your fortune at the cornerback situation. Okay. So maybe you want to talk about the cornerbacks that were traded. Well, one of them was your own, Marcus Peters. If you want to say, well, that was the move that made it where we are now, I'm with you. I disagreed with the move. I think it was very clearly not Brett Veach's decision that Marcus Peters wasn't here. Other cornerbacks that were traded. Aqib Tlaib, he was never going to get moved to the Chiefs. He was coming from the Broncos. They're not going to trade him within the division. Jason McCourty. You want to crush him for not sending a sixth-round pick over for Jason McCourty? I can get behind that. That was the Browns. He wasn't considered a good corner at this time last year, but he goes to the Patriots, and we all know what happens there. But I, I can get behind that. Maybe that's a miss for Brett Veach. Demarius Randall and Eli Apple are the only other two that have been traded. I say all of that to say this. If you want to get mad, if I want to get bad, at Brett Veach for not spending a more valuable asset at the cornerback position in the draft. I'm all for it. I can listen to the argument. I think that's a fair critique. If we're going to sit here, though, and be honest about the situation, by the way, I got them mixed up. I always do this. 
Darby was the Eagles cornerback. Roby was with the Broncos. Roby's not particularly good. Darby was the one that the Chiefs brought in for the visit. I apologize. I mix those guys up all the time, and I don't understand why. My apologies. If we want to be honest about the cornerback situation right now, how they got here, why it is the way it is, and the way that they can fix it, they weren't going to fix it in free agency. There wasn't a guy available via trade that was going to fix it. And so the best way for them to fix it would have been in the draft. No question here. I'm with all of you guys on that. It just seems a little unfair to critique the Chiefs for where they are at the cornerback situation by saying, well, you should have just gone and got somebody. Everybody can find a corner. The corners are all out. Those guys aren't available. They're just not available out there. I looked. I tried to find where the Chiefs could have gone. I I wanted to be able to come on here and say, that's the move that they should have made. And maybe the move is Jason McCourty. Maybe it's that simple. Maybe they just should have brought in Jason McCourty. Okay. He didn't fit the scheme last year. At the time, all he got was a sixth-round pick. Nobody in the NFL seemed to think he was all that good. I just don't know that that move was really out there. I wanted it to be. I was rooting for it to be. It wasn't. And so that brings us to where we are right now with the Chiefs having their top three cornerbacks as Kendall Fuller, Charvarius Ward, and Bashad Breeland. I don't love it. I'm not happy with the situation. I think it's potentially a fatal flaw that can ultimately be the reason why they lose in the playoffs again for like the 12th straight year because they don't have enough good cornerbacks. And so I look around the NFL and I try to find a match and I try to find the cornerbacks that can be available. And this is why we're going to talk to Matthew Caller coming up at 1130. Because the only one that I can see right now, I think the Chiefs are down to one option of a team that is in need of moving cash and also has a surplus right now at the cornerback position. It's the Vikings, and the two names we can watch for are Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes. If you're a Chiefs fan, the only two names left that can save you at the cornerback position are Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes. If they don't come here, this is the cornerback situation. You can add some other names. They're not going to change the what it ultimately is. Maybe you find another Trivarius Ward at the end of cuts next year, or you trade for another guy, or you go out and get somebody that's essentially Tr- uh, Tremont Smith from you last year. Those guys are always available. But you're not going to find a game changer at the cornerback position unless their names are Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes, or if, God forbid, the, the, the uh, Cardinals somehow decide this is the time that we're going to trade Patrick Peterson after five years, essentially, of flirting with the Chiefs, of trading Patrick Peterson to the Chiefs. I just don't think it seems realistic. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Ben Alpert's helping out on the other side of the glass. If you guys want to get involved in the show, the Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. You can hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. Coming up in 20 minutes, we will talk with Jim Nagy. He is the Senior Bowl director. He says that the Chiefs got an absolute steal in Juan Thornhill. But coming up next, the Royals have quietly developed a brand new core. There's a new name that's been added to the list, and I think we should talk about it because it's the single most important thing to come out of the 2019 season. We'll do that next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. Get involved in the show. The Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up 
On Twitter as well, at BK Sports Talk. Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl, he says the Chiefs got a first-round pick when they took Juan Thornhill. He's going to join us coming up here in just about 15 minutes. Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN in Minnesota is going to tell us what it would take for the Chiefs to trade for Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes. That's coming up at 1130. But right now, I wanted to dive into the Royals because I was listening yesterday to Fesco in the morning, and Dayton Moore was asked about how this Royals core has developed and what it means for him in 2020. Here's a listen to what Dayton Moore had to say yesterday on Fesco in the morning. I was asked this question the other day um, by uh, one of our scouts uh, about what, what do you think we need to do for 2020. And my immediate response was, bring back this exact same team. Let them continue to, to get better together. They're believing in each other. I mean, what Hunter Dozier's doing is really exciting. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn, although it's, he's been a little inconsistent, I mean, this guy works every day. Uh, he hits the ball really hard. He had a, a really impactful road trip for us, uh, starting to break out a little bit. Uh, but you got to give it time and, and let these guys continue to, to grow together. Jorge Soler, although his, his uh, pitch recognition wasn't what we wanted it to be early on, uh, certainly it was. I thought it was really good last year, very encouraging. He, he didn't pick up where he left off last year starting off. But the last 10 days to two weeks, he's done a much better job, and he's on pace to – to, to drive in a lot of runs. And so uh, there's a lot of very encouraging things um, about our team right now. And like I said, I'm just looking forward to continue to watch them develop and grow. So that was Dayton Moore yesterday on Fesco in the morning. He mentioned a lot of names there. He said specifically he wants to bring back the same team for 2020. Obviously, we all understand that doesn't mean the exact same roster. He's talking about the core players. And I think there's a case to be made right now that the Royals have found a new core player. He mentioned Hunter Dozier specifically, and I think that's the guy we should really hone in on. Because as of today, Hunter Dozier has been the most productive hitter in the American League. Mike Trout, not as good this year as Hunter Dozier. Whoever your favorite player is in the American League, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, that guy's not as good this year as Hunter Dozier. The Royals have the most productive hitter in the American League on their roster. And none of us expected anything from him. And it feels similar to me, or it's starting to feel that way at least, as to what it felt like early on during the Whit Merrifield experience. None of us thought Whit Merrifield was going to be anything this long. We all thought, okay, this is cute. Whit Merrifield's coming up. He's having his moment. We've seen this before. You come up. You have a couple of hot months. We, we've seen this a million times in baseball. Somebody has a couple hot months and boom, they're done. It, it was just a, it was a really hot run. And then they ended up going, turning into a pumpkin. They were a 4A player. Paulo Orlando, he was that. He came up, he was really hot for about a month. And then he became Paulo Orlando again. The guy that is really a 4A player. That's what he was. And I think for a lot of us, that's what we were expecting with Hunter Dozier because everything in his history suggested that's exactly what he was. He was a 211 hitter in 2016 when he came up for eight games. He was a 230 hitter in 2018 when he played in 100 games for the Royals. And this year he's hitting 320 with so far, and we are 35 games into the year, seven doubles, three triples, and nine home runs. If you had told me at the end of the year that Hunter Dozier had about nine, 10 home runs, I would have been like, okay, yeah. 
that's probably about right. He's going to go back down to AAA, or he's going to end up being released. He's going to go somewhere else, and he's going to continue his baseball career elsewhere. That, that, that would have been my reaction. I would have been like, it wouldn't have been a stunning thing because last year he had 11 home runs in 100 games. This year he has nine in 35. I'm a nerd when it comes to baseball. And so I like some of the sabermetric stuff. I'm not going to bore you guys with the numbers, but I will just tell you this. Nothing in his underlying profile, nothing about the way that Hunter Dozier is hitting right now is fluky. He's hitting the hell out of the ball. He's hitting it really far. And when you combine those, oh, and he's hitting it in the air. And when you combine those three things, especially at Kauffman Stadium, that is the formula for a really, really, really good hitter. And so this year coming into the season, I thought the goal was not to win games. That was never the goal for 2019. The goal for 2019 was to find guys that can help you moving forward that maybe coming into the year, you weren't expecting to be part of that core. We all expected Whit Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi and Brad Keller to be part of the core moving forward. That was kind of the three coming into the year that we knew this is part of your core for the future. I think you can firmly at this point write in pin Hunter Dozier's name into the 2020 starting lineup. I don't know if it's at DH or if it's at third base, but a Hunter Dozier is going to be a starting player on next year's opening day lineup. And if you could get one thing out of this year, just one, that's the thing you wanted. You wanted to have a surprise. You wanted to have somebody on the roster that was going to make you feel better about 2020 than you did coming into 2019. And that was the goal. And so right now, you've got a guy who was a legitimate MVP candidate in the American League. And let me say that one more time. Hunter Dozier, as of today, he will not win the award because this will not continue at this pace. And other guys on better teams will ultimately pull away from him. But as of today, Hunter Dozier, the starting third baseman for the Kansas City Royals, the starting third baseman for a 14-25 and 25 team, I understand, is a legitimate MVP candidate based on the way that he's played so far. That's pretty damn cool if you're a Royals fan. That is really cool. And it's even cooler because none of us thought it was coming. Former first-round pick, 27 years old, guy that has been kind of aimlessly walking through the minors for the last decade. That is exactly what you wanted to come out of the 2019 Royals season. There was one thing, though, that Dayton Moore said yesterday when he was on with Fesco in the morning, and I promised myself that the 2019 Royals wouldn't frustrate me. I promised myself. I said to myself, this team isn't good enough to make you feel any certain kind of way. And then I heard Dayton Moore yesterday on with Fesco in the morning. He was talking about why Nicky Lopez hasn't made his way up yet. And if you don't know who Nicky Lopez is, he's a second base prospect for the Royals who's hitting like 375 down in AAA right now. That's only slightly exaggerating. I'm pretty sure he's hitting 350. Here's Dayton Moore on why the Royals haven't called him up just yet. When you bring a guy like up, as we shift gears to Nicky Lopez, you want him to come up here and play every day. And with knowing that we're going to go with Mondi at short, with Merrifield primarily at second base, some outfield, but primarily at second base, um, you needed a player like Nicky Lopez to really force your hand, you know, going forward. Because when he comes up, you want him to play every day. Now, that last part I totally agree with. When Nicky Lopez comes up to the big leagues, you want him playing every day. You don't want a guy that you believe is part of your core, part of your future, part of what you're going to be in 2021 when this team's good again. You don't want him coming up and getting uh, backup at-bats. You don't want him hitting three times in the lineup over the course of, the, of a week. 
That's not what you want. That's not good for anybody involved. Have we all been watching the Royals this year, though? Why exactly, over the first 12 games, was it okay for Whit Merrifield to play nine games in right field? But And that was for Chris Owings, who's, we all agree, not a good player. But now, when you've got a guy down in AAA who is legitimately really good, is considered to be part of your future, is a legitimate prospect. Like, this guy actually comes with some accolades as a prospect. When that guy's coming up, you can't move Witt out to right field, which is probably where his future is ultimately going to be. But when Chris Owings was starting the season and you had to get that guy in the lineup, it was okay to say, you know what, Witt, we need you to go out to right field today because we got to get Chris Owings in the lineup. And the only place that we can really fit him right now is second base. I'm just not buying it. And so I think there are two possibilities here. Either one, the Royals truly believe this. And they want Whit Merrifield to be their starting second baseman moving forward. And they believe that is his home. Okay, if that is the case, then we need to change the way that we're talking about Nicky Lopez. And he's a trade piece instead of somebody that's going to be a part of your future. That's part one. Part two, option two, is that the Royals are just lying. And they don't actually believe this. Or maybe Whit Merrifield told them at some point during the first 12 games, hey, I want to play second base this year. If we're not going to be good, I at least want to play second for as long as I can this year. Try to win a gold glove there, whatever. In the future, you guys want to move me to right field, that's fine. But for this year, we're not a good team. At least let me play second base, and then Nikki can have the spot starting next year or whatever. Okay, I could at least listen to that as the explanation as to why this is happening. But I don't want to hear that the Royals can't move Whit Merrifield to right field for Nikki Lopez, who's actually good, when they moved Whit Merrifield earlier this year to right field for Chris Owings, who is not particularly good. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. Always get involved in the show. The Protein House with a purpose text line is 69306. I'm on Twitter as well, at BK Sports Talk. Coming up next, Jim Nagy is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. He currently works as well as an ESPN NFL draft analyst. He worked as an NFL scout for more than 15 years, and he says the Chiefs got one of the steals of the draft. He'll tell you about it coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at BK Sports Talk. Always get involved in the show on the Protein House. Eat with a purpose text line at 693. 06. But right now, we are going out to the leadoff hotline to talk to our friend Jim Nagy. He is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. He is a ESPN NFL draft analyst, and he's a former NFL scout. You should be following him on Twitter. He's at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Jim, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm great. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. So, Jim, the reason why I've wanted to have you on is because you had Juan Thornhill at the Senior Bowl, and a few days ago you said on Twitter that you thought Thornhill could have been the 11th Senior Bowl first-rounder and that the Chiefs haven't had anyone with his center field skill set in a long time. Tell us what you think the Chiefs are getting with Juan Thornhill, the safety out of Virginia. Yeah, well, they're getting a really good football player, bottom line. Uh, he's, he's really versatile. So when I was looking at Juan in the fall, um, really felt like he could have played some corner. Now, when these guys get down here, we suggest to the coaching staff uh, this year was the Raiders and the Niners 
kind of what they got, what the player's position flexibility could be. And then it's up to them how they want to use him during the week. So he did not take any reps uh, outside at corner, did not see him as an inside uh, inside corner, more of an outside-only corner. Um, but he didn't rest there during the week. But just watching the tape, I thought he had a chance to do that because he's long, he's really good with his technique, and he can play the ball down the field. So, in a, you know, in a press man scheme, I thought he could do that. But from the safety position, he's got really good eyes. He puts himself in position to make a lot of plays. And like I said, when he's in position to make the plays, he usually finishes. So um, kind of that instinctive center field ball hawking free safety that I know the Chiefs haven't had in a long time. When I was there uh, working for the team, Kendrick Lewis was a super instinctive guy, um, good football player. Juan's just got a little more range. He runs a little better than uh, runs better than Kendrick did. I know scouts sometimes hate when we do this, so if you don't have one, that's perfectly fine. But do you have, in terms of his playing style, a comparison for fans as to what maybe they could be looking for this fall? Um, yeah, I, fans do hate that. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's like media guy. I've talked to some guys in the media now that I, now that I've gotten out of the NFL. I, you know, I've asked a couple of guys, why do you make comparisons for everybody? Right. And it's because they're they're whoever they're working for requires them to do so. As scouts, you really want everything to line up. You want the body type to line up. You want the play style to line up. You want the, you know, the tape and the skill set to line up. So, um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't really think anything. But he is the guy that they're going to be be able to play in the middle of the field. Um, and let him read the quarterback, and he can he can get outside the numbers and make plays to the boundary. So just having a center fielder that can get back there and, and have range um, and make plays on the ball, and you know, Juan's a bigger guy too. So if they needed to drop him down and play him near the line of scrimmage, he's got some flexibility that way as well. But um, like when I said, he could have snuck in the first round. Um, I truly believe that based off his talent. And uh, you know, there was some late buzz from teams calling me the week of the draft. I was, on the, I was on the phone with a lot of teams and buddies around the league, and they were trying to get a feel for where guys were going. Um, and it sounded like Juan did legitimately had a chance to, to creep in there at the end of the first round. We're talking with Jim Nagy. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. He does great work for them. Uh, Jim, one of the guys that you had down there that also ended up on the Chiefs was Colin Saunders, the defensive tackle out of Western Illinois he had a big week down there. I know he got a lot of buzz from that, especially coming out of a smaller school like Western Illinois and being certainly a lower-level recruit when he was coming out of high school. What do you think the Chiefs are getting in Colin Saunders, and what can he bring in year one? He's at least going to be in that rotation um, with Derek Nottie and Chris Jones. I think you know he's a great addition to that team. I, I've spoken to those guys in Kansas City. They're really excited about Colin. And they should be. It's, I, I literally only watched six quarters of tape before I offered him. Um, I don't have – we don't have the luxury here. Our draft is in November, so I don't have the luxury <laughs> of sitting and grinding seven games on an FCS player. Once I, once I saw he was good enough, I, I stopped there and, and sent him the invite. So, uh, you know, really athletic, uh, explosive, disruptive player, always is on his feet. It's really hard to get this guy on the ground. Um, he's got some violence to him which is, you know, on game day, he's a really bubbly personality off the field. I think the Chiefs fans are going to love Colin. Um, but when you, when I saw him on game day, I went up to him right before kickoff just to uh, dab him up and wish him good luck. And, man, he uh, – I know some younger listeners won't understand this reference, but the dude had the eye of the tiger. He was ready to roll. So, uh, you know, he's just – he's a really locked-in football player. 
And uh, I love the pick. I really thought that Colin had a chance of going early in round two, middle of round two. I find it interesting that you say that because that is something that Brett Veach mentioned as well. He, he When he had his post-draft press conference, he was excited about all the picks, as all of these GMs are. They, they, love, they love whoever they end up with on their roster. But he was specifically excited about the fact that he was able to get Colin Saunders in the third round. He said he had a second-round grade on him and that it was just too much value at that point, even without necessarily having a huge need at the position to not be able to grab him. Um, Jim, one of the guys that you did not have down at the senior bowl, but I'm curious if you have been able to at least look at, look at some of his film is Mecole Hardman. The chiefs traded up to get him, uh, in the middle of the second round. Some have said he's a Tyreek replacement. That seems like lofty expectations for anybody, regardless of their skill level. But have you been able to look at Mecole Hardman and what do you think that the chiefs are getting in him? If you have. Yeah, I had to look at me. I had to circle the wagons, um, uh, earlier in the spring, once I once I took that job with ESPN, I had to go back and do a bunch of you know all the juniors that I hadn't looked at for the Senior Bowl. So yeah, I looked at Nicole. I really thought when the Tyree Kill news was breaking that the Chiefs have to be careful not to, not to just go and, and draft a fast guy to be his replacement because there's a lot of fast guys out there. There's very there's very few Tyree Kills walking this planet. He's a not just a fast guy but an incredible football player. So. Uh, but Miko was a guy the league was quietly um, really high on. You didn't hear Miko's name as much in the media, but I know there was a lot of teams around the league that really liked him. And the first thing that jumps off is his acceleration. He is he can he can go from zero to sixty uh, in a heartbeat. So um, good hands. You know they had a, they had a guy at Georgia there a couple years ago, Isaiah McKenzie, who the who the Broncos picked, and they used him in the slot. Um, Miko is just a much more natural catcher. Um, longer arm guy for for a slot, so he brings a lot to the table. And, and depending on what happens with Tyreek, uh, I think there's going to be a role for him right away. I wanted to ask you about one other player that you did have down at the Senior Bowl. He was not a draft pick by the Chiefs, but he did come to Kansas City as an undrafted free agent, and that is Mark Fields, the cornerback formerly of Clemson. I, he, he was in and out of the lineup there. I know there were some questions that some have asked about whether it was attitude or getting along with the coaches or whatever it may be off of the field, but you saw him up close and personal down at the Senior Bowl, and it seemed like he had a good week down there. What do you think that the Chiefs could potentially be getting if everything's right off of the field with Mark Fields? Yeah, I think you covered that that pretty well. Um, he was a kind of a late call-up for us. He had a really nice week down at the NFLPA game. And so uh, we had a corner bail on us really late, like the week before the game with an injury. So I uh, needed a replacement. And Mark was a guy, and he didn't play a ton at Clemson. He was basically a sub-package player for them. But, uh, you know, he was, depending on who you talk to, and I'm, I'm, in this, I'm in this crew, I thought he was the best cover player in the senior class in the southeast part of the country this year. So um, he's really natural cover player. Um, really good athlete. You know, his dad played in the NFL. He's got great genetics. He tested well. He came down here and covered people all week. So I thought for sure Mark would get drafted. Again, there were some things that probably prevented him from getting drafted. Um, but the Chiefs got a draftable level talent. And uh, it's going to be an interesting battle with the guy that they that they did pick in the sixth round out of South Carolina. Um, gosh, his name's slipping Rashad right Fenton. now. Yeah, there you go, Rashad Fenton. And he was uh, – like, they were really in the same boat for me. They were really close on our board. Um, 
and I really wanted to bring Mark down here. It was more of a favor to the league because um, the team's had a lot of questions about Mark's, uh, you know, his football character. And so I really, and Rashad was more squared away. I think the league knew Mark, or uh, knew, knew Fenton a little better. So part of my responsibility in the game is uh, I'm trying to bring guys down here to the league still trying to figure out. So that's why I brought Mark instead of Fenton. But uh, that should be a really nice battle for the uh, back end of that roster. Final question is we're talking with Jim Nagy. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. The big draft pick, quote-unquote, that the Chiefs had this year was not a guy that they selected in the draft, but rather the player that they traded for in Frank Clark. If he were in this year's draft, Jim, where do you think he would have ranked among the pass rushers? Like, what... What kind of a talent, what kind of pro, uh, production are you expecting for the Chiefs to get out of Frank Clark this year? He's, he would have been the best one in the draft. And it, to me, it, it's, not even a, it's not even a consideration. Um, I thought the best one was Josh Allen at Kentucky. And Frank is, uh, you know, Frank's more explosive. He's more physical. Um, and he's more relentless than any of the guys drafted at the top of this draft. So, they, uh, I thought that was a great pick for both sides. That the Seahawks, after they paid Russell Wilson, probably weren't going to be able to pay Bobby Wagner, Frank Clark, and Jaron Reed, all three of those guys. So they had to make a decision. Um, for them to get a first-round pick was was great, and for the Kansas City Chiefs to add a player like Frank Clark, um, gosh, for for you know a late first-round pick to me that was a no-brainer. I was with Frank for five years in Seattle. He's uh, he's really heavy-handed. He's, he, he's technician. He kind of has some Tom Bahali to him with his hand use, but he's, he's just more violent as a rusher. I think that uh, the Chiefs, Chiefs have had a lot of good pass rushers. They've never had a guy quite with Frank's style before. Um, I know Chiefs fans are going to appreciate how hard this guy plays and how much juice he brings to the team. He is, he is a junkyard dog. Like I, I put something on, posted something on Twitter. He is going to make everyone on that defense around him tougher and play harder. So, and he's a great player. So that was, uh, I thought that was a great addition by Brett Beach. There were some reports that came out that the Chiefs think he can be a potential defensive player of the year candidate eventually, and that they think he's the second best pass rusher in the league right now behind um, Khalil Mack. Do you see that kind of a potential from him? Uh, yeah, I mean, I put Von Miller in that conversation too. But, <laughs> right. Um, but no, Frank, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, t- I'm telling you, like, Frank, Frank in that class with, with Nick Bosa, and, and I mean, it's not. I mean, some some players, you know, when you when you get in debates and draft rooms about certain, you know, this guy versus that guy, um, you you can have some pretty heated debates. That's not even a that's not even debatable for me. I think that Frank Clark would have been easily the best pass rusher in this draft. He's Jim Nagy. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. You can find some of his work as well now on ESPN as he's an NFL draft analyst for them, a former NFL scout, and he does great work as always. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Jim, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. You bet. That's Jim Nagy joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. He's one of the best in the business, man. He's been doing this a really long time. He worked for the Chiefs, as he said. He was a scout for them. Now he's doing fantastic work down to the Senior Bowl. He knows these guys that the Chiefs selected better than anybody that you're listening to in the media right now because he spent a week with them down there at the Senior Bowl. So I was interested to hear kind of his perspective, both specifically on Juan Thornhill and Colin Saunders, 
and then Mark Fields as well. I want to react to something that he said about Frank Clark. Plus, there's going to be a controversial statement. I somehow think Sammy Watkins has become strangely underrated. We'll get into that next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alford helping us out on the other side of the glass. The protein I'll see with the purpose text line is 69306. You can always get involved that way, or I am on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. So I wanted to react quickly to something Jim Nagy had to say. We just had him on. He was the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. If you missed that conversation, it will be posted shortly on 610sports.com. I would highly recommend it if you are a Chiefs fan. And coming up here in just a minute, we will talk about how I believe Sammy Watkins has become strangely underrated, actually, by Chiefs fans. So we'll do all all of that coming up here in a minute. But a minute ago, Jim Nagy told us he thought that Frank Clark would have been the best defensive end in this year's draft. And I don't want to lose sight of how important that is. The Chiefs this year were drafting 29th overall. And they, to, to put it simply, Chiefs traded a first and a second round pick for Frank Clark, right? That was that was the compensation that they gave up for Frank Clark. If they had traded that exact same compensation and just moved up in this year's draft class, they would have got to the 19th, 20th overall pick. Like We're talking about the 7th, 8th best defensive lineman in this year's draft would have been the best that they could have selected with the amount of um, compensation that they gave up for, for Frank Clark. Now... You, of course, have to take into account the fact that they paid him $100 million. That matters. That matters immensely. But between the contract and the draft capital that they gave up for Frank Clark, if you're telling me that they got the best defensive end in this year's class, like, yeah, of course you're going to pay $20 million for that. Of course you would. Why wouldn't you? And so I found it really interesting that he said that they got the best defensive end in this year's class that is not something you could have possibly expected with the Chiefs coming into this uh, this draft class with the 29th overall pick. So if that is what Frank Clark ultimately becomes, if the Chiefs are right and they have said, we think he could be a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. They have said that they think he is the second best pass rusher in the league. Now, like Jim Nagy, I agree. I think there's others that you could involve in that conversation. You know, Von Miller, who happens to be in this uh, particular division. Joey Bosa, who is in this division. Like, there's other guys out there besides just Khalil Mack who I think you should throw into the conversation. But let's say he becomes a top five pass rusher in the league. That's exactly what they need him to be. And if he becomes that, well, then they didn't just replace D Ford or Justin Houston with Frank Clark. They went into the offseason and they very clearly upgraded from Justin Houston and D Ford to Frank Clark. Younger, cheaper, more athletic, a guy that's going to bring it more. And like he said, Jim Nagy, a guy that's going to keep everybody else um, in line as well. And I do think that is something that is very important. So we've been talking a lot on the drive this week, which you can hear weekdays from two to six right here on 610 Sports Radio, about the Chiefs receiver position and the lack of targets that they have if and when Tyreek Hill is going to be suspended by the NFL. And one of the reasons I believe that Chiefs fans are very uh, down I would say, on this year's receiving core when, if and when Tyreek Hill is suspended is because Chiefs fans don't seem to like what they have right now in Sammy Watkins. It's fair. Understood. He didn't have a perfect season last year. He only finished the regular season with three touchdowns. 
He had multiple games where he was very quiet, to say the least. In the game against the New England Patriots, he had two catches for 18 yards in the regular season. He played against the Rams and finished that game with one catch for four yards, and he played, I believe, like four plays in that game. He got hurt a lot. He only ultimately played 12 games last year when you include the playoffs. I understand the criticisms. And the other criticism, of course, is what Chris Sims had to say on Pro Football Talk Live. We've talked about how good Andy Reid is at picking an offensive lineman. His history with receivers is not bad either, uh, whether it was in Philadelphia or in Kansas City. Also lost Chris Conley in free agency. He goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, would it be different, I'll just throw this out there, if they hadn't overpaid Sammy Watkins last year in free agency? Sammy Watkins is making almost Odell Beckham Jr. money, and he's not in his class. Yeah, it's the contract. It's the contract. That's why Chiefs fans are down on Sammy Watkins. Because I'm looking at this right here. In the games that he played the majority of the game, he basically had two bad ones. He had two bad games where he played the majority of the game. He didn't play much against Denver. He didn't play much against the Rams. He didn't play much in those two games specifically. In the regular season, he had two games where he was a disappointment. At, on the road at New England, two catches, 18 yards. Not good enough. You need more than that from a guy like Sammy Watkins when you're paying him what you are and when you believe that he's the talent that he is. At the Chargers, three catches, 21 yards. Got to be better than that. Got to get more than that from the guy that you're paying this much money. But that was early in the season, the first game of the year. It happens. The other games, I'm looking down his game log, eight for 107, six for 100, six for 78, four for 74, five for 62, five for 55, and a touchdown in the playoffs. Six for 62. Four for 114. Hold on here. Hold on a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are we actually disappointed in that? Like, we can be upset about the fact that his foot required him to miss half the season. That's totally fair. I understand where you're coming from from that perspective. But when Sammy Watkins was on the field last year, he was pretty good. We can all agree on that, right? Like, when he was healthy, he was good. And I do think we're doing a little bit of revisionist history here. And some of it, maybe most of it, is because of the $16 million contract that the Chiefs gave him. And when they gave him that deal, everybody believed he was going to have to come in and be a number one receiver to warrant that. That was never going to be the case. Sammy was never going to be the number one receiver on a team with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. He was going to come in as the number three option. And what he does is he allows everything else to be a little easier for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. He allows for there to be another option underneath for Patrick Mahomes. And next year, when he is the number one option as a receiver, so the number two option in the offense, I think he's going to be good. It's a strange place where I've come where I think Chiefs fans are almost too far down on Sammy Watkins. Is he a perfect receiver? Is he a top 10 guy? Should he have been paid what he was? No. All of those things, no. But the Chiefs paid him not to be a number one receiver. The Chiefs paid him because they wanted to make sure that their quarterback that they believed in, that they thought could be really good right away, they wanted him to have as many options as possible in his first year as a starter. And so going into year two, when he knows the offense, and we've seen this in the past, it takes a while to understand what Andy Reid's offense is. I fully expect for Sammy Watkins to be good. He's not going to be the fifth best receiver in the league. He's not going to earn his $16 million a year. But if you lower the expectations a little bit to the realistic realm, I think Sammy Watkins could get 800, 900 yards next year. 
don't think that's out of the question at all. If you're a Chiefs fan and he's able to give you the first six weeks of the year, he's really good, and he's the guy that you expected him to be, and he doesn't make or earn that $16 million, but is worth $12 million a year, yeah, that's absolutely worth it. That's what you should be expecting this year from Sammy Watkins. I just think we've gotten too far down on Sammy Watkins too quickly here in Kansas City. Coming up at 1130, my guy Matthew Caller of 1500 ESPN, I want to ask him about Xavier Rhodes. I want to ask him about Trey Waynes. I want to ask him about a tight end that Chiefs fans apparently want that makes $8 million a year to be their number two tight end. I don't understand it, but apparently you guys want him, so I will ask Matthew Caller of 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis about that coming up at 1130. But coming up next, the Kansas City Royals have quietly developed a new core. Have you guys been watching? Because if you haven't, they have a new player we need to add to that core. We'll talk about him next. Coming up, it is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio.